baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly balls deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley, and it's time for our weekly chat about the week that was for the Atlanta Braves, what went right, what went wrong, and what to expect over the next week as well. We're going to mix it all up for you. It's been kind of a crazy one for the Braves, and we got a ton of headlines to get into this week. Got some disconcerting injury news, might have dodged an injury bullet, and of course the Braves have been kind of Jekyll and Hyde again over the past week. We'll talk about the results on the field and all the storylines that have been happening for the Braves behind the scenes and, of course, off the field in the week that was. To help me do that, Gabe Burns of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution will jump on the show as always. Before we get started, I want to let you know you can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave those ratings and reviews. If you like the show, please share it with a friend. That helps out immensely. You can follow me on Twitter at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. And you can follow the show at From the Diamond underscore. Over on Instagram, I'm at Grant McCauley. The show is at From the Diamond with no underscore. And you can find all of the podcasts, articles, videos, and anything else I can throw at you at FromTheDiamond.com. Well, to help me talk about the week that was for the Atlanta Braves, I want to welcome Gabe Burns into the show. You can, of course, follow him on Twitter at GabeBurnsAJC. And as you might guess, he covers the Atlanta Braves for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Gabe, welcome back. Another week for the Braves. A lot of stuff going on, to be certain. Some of it good, some of it not so good. A lot of news this week. You're right. It was a mixed bag, but plenty to talk about. Another one of those up-and-down weeks for the Braves, because right after sweeping the Nationals, as we talked about last week on the show, the Braves took a series from the Phillies over the weekend and climbed back to 500 on the year. And it was even more good news when the club announced the signing of Shane Green to help bolster the bullpen. That finally had become a reality, but... That's where the winning stopped, on and off the field. Another lackluster showing against the Blue Jays. That was punctuated by an injury scare for Ronald Acuna Jr., which we'll talk about a little bit later. It was also announced that Mike Soroka is going to need exploratory surgery to determine what the issue is with his previously repaired right Achilles. So, Gabe, you talk about running the gamut of emotions in seven days. The Braves and their fans have to be kind of emotionally exhausted after all of that. It's amazing how long this season is because, I mean, you look at the last week and it feels like it was a month, right? Uh So much news, everything, like you said, Mike Soroka, Shane Green, Tyler Flowers, just everything Mm -hmm. that's going on. But, yeah, overall, obviously this team isn't where they need to be, but, you know, you're 18 and 20 again. It feels like every week that we catch up, it seems like they're in the same zone, right? About two or three Mm -hmm. games under 500. So we'll see how, you know, this trip with Milwaukee goes. and, And then there's a really, really big homestand awaiting them. Yeah, absolutely there is. And the real thing about this trip to Milwaukee is it was, I think, a a little bit of a reset after another disappointing series against the Blue Jays, who, for whatever reason, have the Braves number this year. They outslugged them. They beat them in close games. And it it just there was just no beating the Toronto Blue Jays for the Braves for a variety of reasons. But I do think that homestand coming up is going to be a pretty big one, because as we'll talk about, 
The New York Mets have started to find themselves a little bit in the National League East standings and have managed to build out a nice tidy little lead heading through the weekend. But the Braves did get business started in Milwaukee with a win, which is a good thing, especially after that sweep against Toronto and the nature in which it happened. But as I said, we got a lot to get to on this show. And unfortunately, I hate to lead with the, the worst of the worst news, but I think that that has to be Mike Soroka, doesn't it? I mean, we know how hard he worked over the winter to be ready to pitch in the spring. And by the Grapefruit League finale, he's out there pumping mid-90s fastballs and breaking off some great-looking curveballs, and it seemed like everything was trending in the right direction for Soroka. And the shoulders started barking at him, and he got shut down, and now he's reported that something is not right in the Achilles. So he's going to undergo that procedure in Green Bay, that exploratory surgery this week with specialist Dr. Robert Anderson, who performed the repair on Soroka's Achilles last year. Uh, Gabe, you'd never like to hear that term, exploratory surgery in general, and I hate to speculate, but it definitely feels like the 2021 season might be slipping away from Mike Soroka with this latest news. Yeah, I mean, I was honestly surprised they didn't rule him out on the spot. When you're undergoing your second Achilles surgery and, you know, what is it, 10 months or yeah, so? And, yeah. But, yeah, that would be my guess. It's just been a really sad deal for him. He's dealt with a lot. When he first came up, he only made five starts, and he had shoulder inflammation that knocked him out. Mm-hmm. His next season started late because he had irritation from his workouts. So I think he missed, like, the first, what, three weeks there. And then, of course, the Achilles, which is a fluke thing that just happens. Right. And and now to have discomfort there, you know, he had the shoulder inflammation in between. It's been a really tough deal, and it's a good thing that he's such a mentally strong human being. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing he's such a mature human being, and, and there's no doubt he's handling things the right way. There's no doubt he's working really hard. He's doing what he's being told to do. You know, his mind was built perfectly for baseball, and right now his body just hasn't been. And it's been a really tough deal to see him because this guy is a really special, you know, yeah. blue-chip talent that they were going to have at the top of their rotation for, you know, the next decade plus, and, and that can still happen. He's very young, but he's had a lot to overcome, and this is just another roadblock, and you just really hate it for him. You really do. I think that's a great way to put it. I mean, built for baseball, this kid, from a mental standpoint, has amazed me since the age of 18. I was talking to him in Rome about his pitching philosophy, if you want to call it that. He just seemed to – some guys just get it. And I know we talk a lot about when he goes from being just a thrower to being a pitcher – he's going to unlock this potential. But for Soroka, there was no just-a-thrower phase. This was a guy that had a plan for seemingly everything that he did out there. So I think that's really a great way to put it. His mind is built for baseball, and I do think he is mentally tough, and he's going to be able to handle this. But when I said this on Twitter, as soon as I saw this news come across, I mean, I don't know if I can accurately express how disappointed I am for Mike and obviously the Braves and for their fans. I mean, you never like to hear this exploratory surgery thing, but – when I talk about Soroka being the best of the best, I truly mean it. Like, that's not just something I'm saying in this case. This is a kid that, like you said, Gabe, you wanted to see him at or near the front of the Braves rotation for years and years to come, and that could still happen. But this has to be a big disappointment, even for somebody as mentally strong as Mike, who always seems to keep things in the right perspective. I remember in spring training of 18, someone with the Braves told me about they had a lot of these young pitchers you know, they were talking to them and everything. And the only guy who just kept raising his hand and kept asking questions and kept trying to just get every single detail about everything, not just on-field stuff, but just how to care, just everything was him. I remember that. Yeah. He's just a really mature guy who's, he knows how to get the most out of his talent. And it's just a, 
to call it a shame is an understatement, but it's just been really unfortunate. Um, this will be two seasons that he's missed, if uh, our guess is correct here. And, and, you know, maybe he comes back strong in 2022 and he moves past it, but certainly the way that this has kind of spoiled the start of his career is it's just really unfortunate for the player and the team. Yeah, it really is. And, of course, the fans who want to see the best Braves team that they can have, and the Braves knew that they're better with Mike Soroka. I think everybody's aware of that. It's a pretty obvious statement. And, Gabe, like I said, we hate to speculate about this, but as you pointed out, it's hard to look at it and not think that maybe 2021 is just not going to be a realistic timeline for Soroka's return considering a second surgery on that Achilles. That just doesn't feel like a small thing, and we don't know what this exploratory surgery is going to find. And, you know, if he gets some good news here, I still feel like this is a kid that's months away from being able to contribute at best. So even if you want to be optimistic about this, the Braves certainly cannot plan around Mike Soroka, I don't think, in 2021. They're going to have to look elsewhere, both internally and, of course, externally with the trade deadline a couple of months away and start to figure out how they can build the best rotation that they can. In doing that, I want to segue into something that was a positive from the Blue Jays series where... There quite simply weren't very many positives, but it was Bryce Wilson who had another one of those starts that just had you thinking that, hey, I can get legitimately excited about this guy and his arm and his ability to perhaps hold a spot in this rotation. Remember, he did this as big and as bright as ever as far as the stage was concerned in the NLCS last year, beating Clayton Kershaw. Wilson handcuffed the Blue Jays for five innings. He did allow a two-run homer in the sixth inning, but overall, six innings of two-run ball against that lineup considering what Toronto had been doing to Atlanta pitching for two series this year, that's a great sign for me. And with Soroka out, it seems like Bryce Wilson just became a lot more valuable, perhaps a lot more important. And that start where he leaned heavily on his changeup to great results, Gabe, that was a very encouraging sign for me. And in the short term, I think Bryce Wilson might be that quote-unquote next man up for the Braves. Really encouraging. And look, I mean, Bryce is basically one injury away from being an every fifth-day guy. No doubt. So... Obviously, he's not rooting for anyone to be hurt, but that's kind of how he has to look at it. The opportunities are just going to be random Mm -hmm. unless somebody goes down, and the reality of baseball is that the odds are pretty high that that's going to happen, and and that's going to be a huge opportunity for him. He's certainly ahead of Kyle Wright Mm -hmm. as far as who's going to take that spot, and now a no is cemented. No doubt. But it'll be big for Wilson. I I was really impressed, um, especially against that lineup. I mean, we'll see. I mean, we've again, like you just laid it out. We've seen this before with him. So I think overall, you should be encouraged. Yeah, and I think the good thing to say, because that statement can seem kind of like a backhanded compliment with, oh, we've seen this before, but it's really not. And the other thing, and I'm interested to get your thoughts on this, because this is something that everyone, I think, has an opinion about. I know I have mine, but I kind of want to hear yours first. When you keep giving guys opportunities and then kind of taking it away, and sending them back to AAA, and bringing them back, and then sending them back, I can't help but think that this is going to have some kind of effect on the continuity that you'd like to have to be able to set yourself up for success because you come up and even if you have a good start like Wilson did, he was optioned because the Braves needed some flexibility on their pitching staff, and I get that. But on the other hand, it sure would be nice to see what guys could do in a more consistent environment, and that being not getting optioned out to AAA two, three times a month, perhaps, just based on the numbers of the pitching staff or whatever the reason is. So what's your feeling on that? Developmentally speaking, do you think that's a challenge that these guys are dealing with that maybe is not getting talked about enough? There's no question. 
I think I saw John Smoltz was talking about this. I can't really remember who posted the video. I'm sorry. I think it was Maria Martin. It was Maria Martin from 11 Alive. I did see that. Okay, cool. Yeah, so Smoltz was talking about this, and, and he gave his thoughts on it. I think just naturally, as a person, uncertainty, like anxiety, we all deal with that. And when you look at a guy who doesn't know if he's going to be in the majors and then he goes back down, he's pitching in AAA, and then if he has a bad start there, it's like, oh, no, right? Yeah. So (laughs) there is the human element of it. It, It's tough. I, I know it has to be really tough on these kind of guys. And so when Bryce Wilson comes up and he has a start like he did, it's even more impressive. Because he's doing it with a lot of other things. And I know what they say. I know they say you can't think about it. We're all, we're all humans. And they know what the deal is, right? right. So, and Kyle Wright knows what the deal is. Yep. You know, when he goes up and, you know, that inefficient start he had in Chicago, he goes back down and things have been up and down for him in AAA, I think. I mean, he knows. He's like, well, I'm not exactly making my case here. It's definitely tough. I, I think that is in kind of an undercovered element of things. So, I, you know, Smoltz mentioning it. Especially with what we're, we've been seeing lately with the Braves. I do think that matters. Uh, again, there's not a solution to it because the Braves can't just open up a rotation spot. Mm-hmm. But it's certainly a, a tough challenge for some of those guys to deal with. Well, Gabe, it's interesting that you bring that up about what John Smoltz was saying. And again, this was with 11 Alive's Maria Martin, who posted a video with John Smoltz, where in particular he was talking about the effects of going up and down between the majors and AAA has had on former first-round pick Kyle Wright. So let's hear these comments so we can kind of extrapolate those a little bit more. And also because John Smoltz has dealt with everything that pitching can throw at you, playing in the major leagues can throw at you. He's had success, he's had failure, and he ended up in the Hall of Fame through all of that. So I'm interested to hear John's thoughts on this, and then we'll talk about it a little bit on the other side. When I watch baseball, I fall in love with certain arms that can do things that you just can't teach. And now... The difference is when you can connect the body with the computer, the brain, then you've got a dynamic. I mean, he's drafted number one. There's a reason. He has five, four unbelievable pitches. But in this day and age, when you're not given a consistency of opportunities, you start wondering what your identity is. And, and I think what my biggest fear, and I make no bones, I say it every broadcast, and I'll say it till I'm blue in the face, we are making a big mistake in the industry thinking guys can bounce back and forth. I'm not just talking about him. I've watched everywhere where guys go in the bullpen because they're not ready, and then when they're ready, they go in the rotation, and then they're stunted because their third and fourth pitch has not been developed. There's a whole factory of arms that I know if I was on the team side, I can plug those guys in and, and fill a gap. But you lose, you run the risk of losing greatness if you do it that way all the time. And thanks to Maria Martin for posting that video. Be sure you're following her on Twitter. You can find her at Rhea underscore Martin. She does some great work, and I get the opportunity to talk some baseball with the good folks over at 11 Alive Sports on a pretty regular basis as well. But as far as what John Smoltz was saying there, I think that's really fascinating. And John Smoltz's comments were about Kyle Wright, who was a number one pick for the Braves a few years ago and has shown flashes. But Gabe, as we were talking about, there was a lot of this back and forth, back and forth for Wright, for Wilson, for other arms we can talk about as well. But I think John hit on something that's extremely important, and he laid a lot of it out. I mean, expecting guys to be able to, quote-unquote, tune this out. When somebody tells you or me or whoever out there, hey, don't think about something, what is your natural reaction typically when you're told not to think about that thing? Like if I tell you right now, don't think about giant pink elephants, what did you just think of immediately? Exactly. 
Exactly. Smoltz made a good point there. I think even look at what Inoa has done Yep. with a consistent opportunity. And he did earn the opportunity. He had that really good outing, started stacking good outings, but he had the opportunity to do that. Whereas Bryce Wilson, okay, he has a good start. He has no idea when the next one's going to be. Yeah. So, I mean, it is a challenge. And Smoltz is right about Kyle, you know, a great mix and everything. And he just, he hasn't consistently kind of been on the attack. And, and really, we haven't consistently seen him. And he's had those opportunities, you know, last year he had like, but it just, it wasn't really happening for him. And, and then he ends up getting sent out again. So maybe it all clicks for him. Maybe it all clicks for Bryce, but I, I do think, you know, again, and you can kind of tack on your thoughts here too, but I, I do think that this is a layer of player development. That's, it's really just tough to figure out. It, it's, it, it's, but it's no doubt a challenge for it, it definitely is. And I don't want to linger on the topic too long, but I just kind of thought it was a natural progression when we talk about opportunity once again for Bryce Wilson and it coming on the heels of his best start of this season and immediately being optioned back down to AAA. And I'm not saying that this is going to create a situation where every time they're sent down that they're just you know, developing a complex about it and it's going to keep them from being successful, but I just don't think it's conducive to success when you bounce around all the time. I know that you know, in other parlance, you think that, oh, well, this player is a utility guy who can play anywhere, so we'll play him at second base for two days, we'll play him at shortstop for a days, then we'll have two days at third base, then we'll play him in left field, we'll play him in right field. You'd love to have that player, and I think it's the exception and not the rule when a player is successful under that particular set of circumstances, but even more so when you're talking about the difference between going from the major league roster to the minor league roster even if you're putting up good numbers in the minors, you still have to wonder about, okay, well, I'm doing the best that I can, but they just won't let me stay up here. And it has to have a, an explanation that's more than just, hey, that's the business of it, and just leave it there for the individual player. For the team, I get it. I understand. Like, you'd love to be able to plug in talent wherever you can, however you can, and build the best roster that you can, and also one that's the freshest that it can possibly be, which is a lot of the argument about the pitching side of this. But I'm really with John Smoltz here in this, in that I don't feel like it is conducive to setting these guys up for long-term success when you ping-pong them between the majors and the minors for a long period of time. If you're doing this for a couple of months because you're trying to find the opening and get the guy put in, that's fine. But we're talking about, what, three years of this for Kyle Wright and Bryce Wilson? These guys made the opening day roster in 2019, and we're still talking about them, and we're still not seeing them every fifth day. So at some point... If we're thinking about it, the guy who's living it has to be thinking about it. Yeah, the Braves were victims of their own success to an extent here just sure. because the team became so good um, that you're not going to be just kind of taking guys for a test you know, test drive I, here yeah. like Bryce and Kyle and just let them take their lumps. Whereas if, if you know, Bryce or Kyle is in Seattle, um, you know, especially, you know, the last couple of years too, uh, just developing, just starting every fifth day, figuring it out, and Pittsburgh or any of these teams um, that have been rebuilding. But for the Braves, when you're starting to focus on winning, especially in the last two years, right? Yeah, you win not you win 97 games, and then and then last year, you know, you almost get to the World Series, and mm-hmm. Bryce Wilson was one of the people who helped position you for that, but he barely had any opportunities before that. So, I would say victims of their own success from that standpoint, and yeah. 
You know, it's crazy that we say winning changes everything, but it really does. And in this case, it changed something for the Braves that fundamentally they might not have been thinking about in this way. But over time, I do think on an individual basis for some of these pitchers, this is a discussion that's going to have to happen if it hasn't already when you think about how you're managing these guys because we ask a lot of players to come out and give us your absolute best each and every game, and they take a lot of pride in being able to do that. But if you're not setting them up for success in this way, which I'm not saying that it's acting in bad faith, it's just making it more difficult. It's a discussion that I'm sure that players have had to have you know, amongst each other, like, how do I attack this, man? I'm still thinking about, you know, am I going out after this game? And by out, I mean not out to get a nice dinner. I mean jumping on a, you know, jumping in a cab to fly and meet the AAA team wherever they are. That's just not what you want to be thinking about. But before we get too far off in the weeds there, I will say this. Bryce Wilson looked great last time out. I expect to see more Bryce Wilson moving forward, especially with the most recent news on Mike Soroka. The Braves are going to have to figure out the best internal options they have, whether it's Bryce Wilson, Kyle Wright, or someone else. And, of course, the emergence of Waskari Noah, as you pointed out, Gabe, that has been quite the blessing for the Braves. And I, even you and I, who were very, very optimistic about this kid having a role to play this year for the club, we couldn't have seen what has happened over the first five or six weeks of the season coming in terms of just how good he's been and how consistent he's been. That has certainly been one of the best developments for the Braves in the year 2021, as Waskari Noah has not only been doing it on the mound, he's been doing it at the plate, and he's been helping the Braves get through a very difficult patch with some inconsistency in the starting rotation thanks to injuries. No, we didn't expect him to be one of the best pitchers in MLB through, what do we have, six weeks? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, good for him. He's a guy who he's gotten a consistent opportunity, and he has absolutely made the most of it. He's taken it, and he, he's just running with it. Yeah. And it certainly helped what's been a mass start for the team, but mm -hmm. to have him there and to have him taking up a spot in the rotation, if he wasn't there, you know, you would be seeing Wilson, right? Who knows what's going on there? So we know it's just been a huge help consistent, just consistency wise. The Soroka thing is a blow, but you know, you look at the state of this rotation and you can say, well, Max Breed is starting to round back into shape. Mm -hmm. You look at it, Noah, you know kind of what you're going to get with Anderson, and he's a young guy who's really dynamic, who's continuing to grow. And then you're looking at the two free agent additions and, and just seeing uh, how you can get the most out of them. But certainly, Noah has made the equation a little bit easier. Yeah, and let's get into that real quick. And we'll talk about Charlie Morton a little bit, but I want to really focus more so on Drew Smiley because while I'd love to see Charlie Morton get going, and I feel like he's kind of that close to getting there, he just seems to run into trouble and has not been able to avoid the one bad inning. Of course, the one against Philly was certainly not great. But the last time out against the Blue Jays, it seemed like Morton was cruising along until he wasn't. And even hearing Charlie talk about it after the start, it's like he's doing all the things, and the velocity's there, the pitches are there. It's just the consistency of execution may not be there for him yet in order to get out of some trouble innings and put some offenses away and let his offense get back to work. But Putting Charlie Morton aside, because I do feel like he is going to figure this out, the big question mark among those two was, of course, Drew Smiley, who really stumbled out of the gates, was not very impressive at all, ended up on the injured list, came back, got lit up by the Blue Jays. But the last couple of outings for Drew Smiley, he's finally put together some, I would say, good results. Back-to-back -back solid starts for him, most certainly. This one against Milwaukee on Friday, I think is his best one of the season. And Gabe, I know nobody expected Smiley to come in here and lead this rotation or anything like that, despite what he's getting paid for the one year. But getting that lefty to add to Max Freed and give that rotation some depth, 
was really what Atlanta needed here. And if Smiley can do what he's done the last couple of outings every fifth day, I think that most of the complaints about him will subside and that he'll start actually making the contribution that the Braves paid him $11 bucks to give them. Yeah, maybe he's stabilizing a bit. I mean, sure. he comes back from that forearm injury, and he got lit up against uh, Arizona. I think he gave up three homers in that game, one yeah. of the doubleheader yeah. games, I believe. Okay, and now, you know, you're starting to see maybe he's figuring some things out. I think he's healthier now than he was when he came back. But there's definitely some little encouraging things here. And you laid it out really well. They don't need this guy to be a Cy Young contender. They just need a solid back-of-the-rotation guy. And so I think that what you've seen from him lately is exactly that, actually better than that. So he's trending in the right direction. Yeah, no, I think that he is, especially after that bad start that you mentioned against Arizona, then the really bad one down in Dunedin. And then as he's come back, these last couple, the first two starts in May, six innings of one run ball both times. I know he had four walks two outings ago. One of those was intentional. The other came at the start of the seventh inning when he returned for one more frame. I don't know necessarily that he needed to be out there for that, but he was. It all counts either way. Six innings of one run ball. Again, I'll take that. I think that's a best-case scenario for Smiley for the most part. And this is the thing to kind of bring this back to Wilson, to bring this back to Enoa, to bring this back to Freed, Morton, whoever is starting that day for the Braves. The thing that's going to make this pitching staff better, the thing that's going to improve this bullpen, not named Chris Martin, not named Shane Green, and not considering any other acquisitions you can make is these starters consistently getting into the sixth inning and beyond is going to set up this bullpen for success. I think it'll be a huge help to guys like Matt Zach and Minter and Will Smith and others who have been used a lot here in the early going. A lot's been asked of them. They faltered at times, and some of it, you know, that's just performance, and they've got to be able to do the job they've been asked to do. But the more innings you get from that starting rotation, I think, Gabe, the better this bullpen is going to be set up to do exactly what it did for the most part last year, even if some of the names have changed. Yeah, absolutely. And you don't you don't want to be in a position like last year where you're having to cover as many innings as they did yeah. a lot of the time. And they're not going to be. Their rotation is in much better shape. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be big. It's going to be a big help for the bullpen, which is another area, I guess. I guess, You know, it feels like everyone we talk about, it, yeah. they're up and down. Well, the Braves are up and down. They're Actually, they haven't been up. They've never been over 500. So <laughs> it's been a little uh, tough go for them here. But the bullpen, uh, you know, everyone is always going to, kind of get angry and spit venom at those sure. guys. Um, but, you know, the Will Smith outing didn't go well against Toronto the other day. But there have been a lot of positives with Mentor. There's been positives with Matt Zek, especially now that Martin is back, especially with Green coming into the mix. You know, if Sean Newcomb looks like mm-hmm. reliever Sean Newcomb, I, I certainly think you're looking at a group that's going to be uh, pretty strong by summer. Yeah, and we said this back in spring training. I, I felt like this bullpen might be a little bit better than we realized at first, kind of walking in. By the time I was doing the previews of the Atlanta bullpen, I thought, well, there are some guys that if they perform, this is a good group. But, of course, performance has been the question for a couple of them. Injury has been an issue. I still felt like the Braves needed to re-sign Mark Melanson or Shane Green or both. I feel like that could have been a – a really successful winter for Alex Anthopoulos just to keep that band together. But putting that aside and dealing with what you're dealing with right now, I do think there have been some pros and some cons. There have been some good days. There have been some not-so-great days for that bullpen. But the brave start is not going to be laid completely on the bullpen, completely on the rotation, or completely on the offense. It's been a little bit from each column that has kind of led the Braves to this underwhelming start. But they are hanging right around that 500 mark. And, Gabe, I think you just touched on it. We do this little song and dance every week. 
but at least it's out on the actual dance floor now. The bullpen does need some help. The first step was getting Chris Martin back, and he's returned this week and has looked pretty good thus far. That's a welcome sight. And now a different kind of Shane Green watch begins because the club signed him to that one-year deal for the remainder of this season at a very, very good rate, I might add. But that aside, just how soon do we expect Shane Green to be ready to rejoin Atlanta and help out this bullpen? That's a good question. I know that, you know, he's gotten down there in AAA. We don't know exactly how long it's going to take him to arrive. And they haven't really shared that timetable. But obviously, it's a big addition for them. Uh, as far as he goes, like, he, we, they don't need him to be an all-star. They just need him to be just a reliable righty, like what he really has been since he joined the team. A lot of us had kind of expressed doubt that they would go this direction. But when you look at how the bullpen uh, has developed – especially when you look at what Green ended up signing for. Yeah. All of a sudden, you know, all of this really made a lot of sense, and, and he was still in Atlanta. I know people talked about him being at that game that day, and people saw him. But, so it made a lot of sense for him to come back. And, look, he didn't get the contract he wanted in free agency, so uh, he's pitching for a contract again. And, you know, that's never really a bad thing when you have a guy, a veteran guy who's in a contract year who needs to deliver to get his next – this time he's hoping his bigger payday – so they're going to have him really motivated, a little extra motivation. And having him and Martin back, you know, we'll see about Smith, but Smith mm-hmm. has shown a lot of good. But there's a lot of veteran guys. There's a lot of closing options. Look, the group has not been great, but when you project forward, when you look at who they've been missing, who they have coming back, it's really easy to just see how the bullpen takes shape in the next month or so and just really how solid that group can be because, you said, like you said, performance – you know, you never know what what you're going to get with some of with some of this stuff. But in general, when you look at their resumes, when you look at what you've seen so far, it is it isn't too difficult to envision a solid bullpen coming here soon. No, it's really not. And overall, I think Will Smith is a guy that can close games for you. He's not going to be perfect, but there aren't too many guys out there that are. But improving the cast around him and maybe giving yourself another option when it comes to that in the form of a Shane Green. Maybe if you like that matchup a little bit better, maybe a Chris Martin, if you like that matchup as well, that's where the Braves bullpen is going to start to get better. The depth there and also the quality of that depth. We talk about it each and every week, but getting Shane Green back in a Braves uniform, that's a big thing. Having a healthy Chris Martin back, that's also a big thing for the Braves. We'll see how soon Shane Green is able to make some contributions to the Braves bullpen. We're hoping sooner than later, though. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about Ronald Acuna Jr. because I know he's anxious to get back on the field and the Braves are quite simply a better team with him out there. His injury on Thursday looked pretty bad at first, but then he was able to leave the field under his own power. Braves said the x-rays didn't show anything. They ran some more tests to be sure on Friday. And now once again, it looks like Acuna is going from an injury scare to hopefully getting back in action with a very short turnaround. Uh, Gabe, I can't help but feel that this was yet another bullet dodged by the Braves and, of course, their young slugger. And that was two in one week because we can't forget about that hit by pitch as well. I don't know what this guy is made of, but I'm really glad that he was able to avoid what looked like it could be a catastrophic ankle injury a couple of days ago. It's wild the amount, you know, you said bullets dodged. That's what it is. It's wild. There have now been several times that we thought that he was going to miss significant time and he didn't even go on the I.L. You know, the mild abdominal strain mm-hmm. was a bullet dodged. He wound up missing like two or three games. They had two off days that week that helped. Yeah. And then he was back in, so he didn't even like miss a full week. And then you have the hit by – I thought his hand was broken initially. Yeah. Then I thought his finger was broken. And it turns out he just has a Band-Aid 
on a bruise on his finger. So, <laughs> and now the latest, you know, once again, day to day. So it's, and, and obviously that looked really bad um, when he hit the base. So uh, you're right. I don't know what he's made of. I don't know if he has a deal with the baseball gods. I think we'd all be happy if he did. That keeps him on the field. And uh, so it's been good that he's been able to avoid that. I mean, obviously his play style, um, sometimes it's going to make him a little more likely to get hurt, but it's been good that he's been able to avoid serious injuries and, and really, for the most part, stay out there. And, and we'll see if he's in the lineup Saturday. But no doubt having the MVP candidate not on the IL is a good thing for him. Yeah, it certainly is, especially considering that your MVP from last year hasn't really been able to get going either, though I think Freddie has shown some signs. He's been incredibly unlucky at the plate this year. You got Marcelo Zuna heating up. You really want Acuna at the top of the order to set this whole thing off and get this Braves lineup kind of clicking closer to what they were doing in 2020. They've hit a ton of home runs, have the Braves. They've also given up a ton of home runs, so that's not a great thing. But as we talked about, there's a balance to be struck here between getting this pitching staff right and, of course, getting this offense right. And kind of the reason I want to bring this up is that even though I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here a couple of weeks into May, I'm starting to wonder just a little bit more about Dansby Swanson. We talked about his cold start a couple of weeks ago, and he wasn't alone because even though he's yet to find himself at the plate, a lot of Braves kind of had a similar story going early in the season. But for Dansby, man, these strikeouts are really starting to pile up. Meanwhile, you got Orlando Arcia out there just destroying AAA pitching. And I don't expect Alex Antopoulos and the Braves to have some knee-jerk reaction in the middle of May with a guy who's having a good week and a half down in AAA. But Dansby's got to find some consistency at some point in the not-too-distant future, or he's going to be at least sliding down in the order, or perhaps out of the lineup here and there. And the Braves are still trying to get this offense clicking, and that cylinder, the Dansby Swanson one, hasn't exactly been firing this year, has it? No, not at all. Uh, inconsistent, for sure. Uh, even the home and road splits are pretty drastic. Just everything about the, his performance, you know, it's been one day here. You know, remember when he burned Sage and mm-hmm. he had like a two-day run? I, 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 he had like four hits maybe in two days, something like that. So, I mean, he's had little here and there, but absolutely no consistency whatsoever. And this is a pretty big year for him. I, I think next winter he's arb eligible for the third time. So as far as, you know, is he going to be extended? You know, uh, what, I mean, this is just in general. Obviously, the team wants to win a World Series this year, mm-hmm. but just for him and for staying with his hometown team or, or, you know, getting a pay raise, whatever it is, I mean, this was a really big year for him, and it's off to a really rough start. And he's been healthy, but it's just not really clicking. And, uh, I, and you know, you mentioned Arcia. We'll see how he continues to do in AAA. But that does give you, you know, I, I can't believe we're even talking about this, to be honest, but it does give you some insurance if, mm-hmm. you know, if, if Dansby just needs a breather or something. And, and this is a guy who, you know, obviously has played in the majors a good bit and he's having a lot of success. So we'll just continue to see how this plays out. Again, like you and I are not the reactionary types. So we're definitely going to give it time. But, man, it, it has been a really tough start for him. Yeah, it's been a tough watch a lot of days, too. And you brought up those home road splits. And for folks that may not be aware of this, Dansby's hitting about 100 points higher at home where he's batting two fifty three. He's put up an OPS just above 800. He's looked all right at Truist Park. But on the road, he's batting just over 150, and his OPS is under 500. And the strikeouts for Dansby, 46 of those thus far in 38 games. So the pace that he's on right now, Certainly not one that's going to be sustainable for maintaining a spot at fifth or sixth in the Braves lineup, which is where he's been. So I think that's the first place that we would see a change. The fact that Austin Riley has had a a really good run lately, 
leads me to believe that's somebody that you could lean on a little bit more if you want to start changing around pieces in the order. Of course, losing Travis Darno, who had started off rather slowly as well, that didn't help matters out. But you've got Ozzy Albies, I think, kind of taking to that cleanup role. That's great. We already talked about the top three of Acuna, Freeman, and Ozuna. It's really about figuring out the way to, and to use the Braves term, to lengthen that lineup. And that's what they've been trying to do. But for Swanson, it's been really tough sledding here in the early going. And I'm not saying bail out on him altogether. I'm not saying send him to AAA. I'm not saying anything like that. But you have to at least monitor what Arcia is doing if Dansby struggles continue and he's just not able to get things on track. Defensively, Dansby brings you enough to maintain himself as a major league shortstop on an everyday basis. But when your offense is struggling to string together guys that are hitting consistently, you have to start looking at each and every one of the pieces. And Gabe, like you said, I'm not a reactionary person, but when I do get to around Memorial Day, which is coming up, I start looking at the standings and thinking, okay, what's gone right? What's gone wrong? Where exactly are we? Because we've played about a quarter of the season now, going towards about a third of the season by the time we get to Memorial Day, I think. That, for me, is a realistic checkpoint here. I don't know if that means anything to Alex Anthopoulos or executive types, but at that point, i got to start really assessing what exactly is going right for my club and what's not, don't you? Yeah, I was going to add, you know, we're 38 games in now. Yeah. You know, this is not a 10-game sample size. We're, they're 38 games into 162, and mm-hmm. I know 162 is a lot. I know this season is long, but 38 games, is uh, it's big enough. And it just hasn't really been happening for him. And sure, I mean, he can turn things around. He's had some up-and-down streaks before. You know, he, he's basically always had injuries interrupt his season. And then last year, the shortened year, and now this Seemed like the first year that they could really just see, you know, let's hope this guy is healthy and see what's happening. It's just, it hasn't been coming together for him. So, you know, we'll see where he hits, if he needs a breather, if he needs a phantom IL stint, if they just need to give Arcia some opportunities, just whatever they have to do. You're right. The offense, they need to lengthen the lineup. They need to get guys going. And, and the solution might be to just give Dansby, you know, just a break and just see how it unfolds from there. Yeah, and there may not be enough sage that you can burn that's going to get you out of a slump in the big league level, <laughs> even though that was a great story. You know, I, I do think they just got to be realistic at some point about, you know, where do we get the most consistency at the position? And if it's not Dansby, at least for a little while, trying something else is not the worst thing in the world. But again, I'm not saying send him down to AAA and leave him there. I'm not saying that this is it. He's lost his starting job for the rest of the year. He's not going to get it back. None of those kind of bold proclamations, which don't really mean anything, because as you know, Gabe, things can change with one injury very quickly. I did like the pickup of Arcia. At worst, you've got a nice insurance policy who's shown some flashes of being a decent everyday major league player, but he's also shown some inconsistency himself. So if you're replacing Dansby Swanson with another version of Dansby Swanson, I don't know that there's really an impetus to make that change, but with Arcia hitting the way he is down in AAA, he might push himself into the equation if Dansby continues to struggle. And that is kind of what we're talking about here is the scenario is if and when a change needs to be made, is this a change worth making? So as Gabe said, we'll monitor that. We'll consider all the things that we need to when that time comes. And of course, by we, I mean the Braves. And I don't mean we because we have no say whatsoever over the starting lineup, who's in it and what order they're in either. But I digress. Speaking of offensive struggles, Christian Pache has had more than his fair share of those this year. He's now landed on the injured list with a strained hamstring suffered on the recent homestand. And that game has opened the door for Ender and Ciarte to get the starting job in center for a little bit. Guillermo Heredia might be ready to take back some of those at-bats. 
But the fact that we're talking about Enciarte and Heredia in center field and not Pache is, of course, noteworthy. Pache has seemed really to me overmatched thus far at the plate in 2021. Maybe some minor league playing time and working some things out would be advantageous when he's ready to play again. Clearly, the Braves were already thinking about that before the Heredia injury. Enciarte was already injured at that point. It seems like the Braves and you and I might all be on the same page here. Christian Pache just needs a bit of a reset, and the minors may not be the worst place to get it. Yeah, we knew that he was going to require some time offensively. We did not expect the center field spot to be this dreadful for this team. Uh, It has been horrendous. And so they've got a ways to go there, and there's not a clear fix to this unless you're trading for somebody. I mean, can Heredia go on another tear like what he had? Can Ender, you know, before Ender was hurt, you know, he had a little stretch where he's kind of showing some life. Can he do anything? I mean, the odds are probably against it because we know who Ender is at this point. And then Pacha, yeah, I mean, it was pretty clear they were ready to, about ready to send him down. It's just been a struggle. I think he had, he returned from the IL May 1st. I think he had three hits. You know, he had two when he first got back. He had the Grand Slam. He's had three hits this month. It's been a really tough run for him. And, of course, now he's on the IL for the second time. So we know what the deal is here. It's going to be Heredia and Ender for a while. And I know that doesn't inspire much confidence at all. It's the choice. I don't want to say it's the only choice because they, they could do a couple other things, move some guys around. Move. They don't really seem inclined to move Acuna. But it's what they're going to roll with for right now. And, you know, Ender wanted his chance. You know, Ender wasn't thrilled about just – riding the pine, even though sure. he was getting paid handsomely to do so. And this is going to be his opportunity, and, and we'll see if Heredia can continue to have a decent season. And so that's just what they're looking at right now, and it's not ideal, but certainly I don't think any of us expected this center field spot to be such a black hole for him. No, and it certainly has been, and that's one of the problems that the Braves are facing. Ender has played in 13 games this year, but he only has 24 plate appearances, including his comeback against Milwaukee after being activated from the injured list and having spent a little bit of time in Gwinnett. So if you're Ender, you didn't even really get a whole lot of at-bats to kind of get yourself back up to speed. But the Braves need somebody in center field to just start showing some nature of consistency because, as Gabe mentioned, it has been an absolute black hole for this team. And if you want to go through it position by position for the Atlanta Braves and seeing exactly what you're getting from each one of these spots, I don't know if it's possible to get much worse than what the Braves have gotten out of center field. If you look at what Braves center fielders have done this year, and it's not even the worst position on the team because catcher has been even worse, but Braves center fielders batting 205 this year, three homers and 13 runs knocked in, and it feels like most of that was done in one week by Guillermo Heredia, OPS of about 630. Not great. Uh, Braves catchers have been worse, but when you look up and down the lineup, position by position, I guess I should say, It's been underwhelming for the most part in everywhere, but what seems like third base and right field, those two spots have been okay. It's rough. You know, you're looking at it, and basically their options are, right now it's Heredia and Ender, so you have those two guys, and, you know, they what did they do in the Toronto game? They moved Adrianza. You had him out there and Acuna Mm -hmm. in center. They don't seem inclined to move Acuna to center. I wouldn't want to do that. Right. Um, but at the same time, if, you know, if this is what you're going to get from, from center, but it could, could a trade, you know, is that something that we're going to be talking about in July? That's a long way away, but as we've already seen being 38 games in, it can kind of sneak up on you. Sure. And a lot of things, a lot of things change uh, before then as well. And, you know, maybe Pache comes back and heck, maybe he 
figure something out. The odds do not seem very high of that happening. The odds are not very high of Guillermo Heredia being a plus producer offensively, mm-hmm. and we know the deal with Ender. So it's a it is a situation to monitor through July because I, I don't. And you can tell me, you know, if, if there's a clear solution here, not solution, but the best scenario that the team can roll with here. Because right now, I guess it's just Ender and. And certainly that's, you know, no offense to him. That's just not where you want to be for a team that has World Series aspirations. No, it's not where you expected to be, considering that he was kind of fighting for one of those bench spots, it felt like, and might have just had the inside track because the Braves didn't necessarily want to take a bath on the $9 bucks that they owed him for this year, including a buyout of next year. So it made a lot of sense as a reserve outfielder who can play all three spots, and maybe if somebody gets hurt, then you could do worse than having someone who can at least go out there and defend and maybe figure some stuff out at the plate. But I don't think anybody's best-case scenario was Enciarte sliding back into the starting job in center field. But, of course, the best-laid plans, again, can be changed by an injury. In this case, it's changed by a couple of injuries and a lot of inconsistency as well. So there could be a trade here. But And, again, I don't sit in Alex Anthopoulos' seat to make these decisions, but I'm sure he's well aware of the spots that he'd like to you know, fix for his club. The rotation has to be something that he would probably be looking at strengthening around the trade deadline, the bullpen. You can always use more help there. We've seen him do that in the past. And then you could look at the center field spot and say, do we need a short-term fix here? And the long-term answer may still be Christian Pache. I think that it is. I'm not going to tell you that after one bad month in the majors that Christian Pache and the experiment in center field is over. It's certainly not. And then again, you've got Drew Waters down in AAA where if he gets hot, maybe you give him a run and see what you have there. I don't know. There's a lot of different ways they could go here the trade being probably the most interesting to Braves fans because you bring new blood in, maybe you bring somebody more proven in, and that starts to help things click. But I'm with you. I don't want to start moving Acuna around in the outfield too much. I'd like to give him that consistency of being the club's starting right fielder and leadoff man and kind of leave it at that for the most part rather than starting to move all of the pieces around, which is tempting, and rosters are built like that so that you have a bunch of interchangeable pieces. But I would just rather not do that. And that's just a personal preference, and I guess that's one you and I both share. Yeah, yeah, I'm not – that's far from my top option. I mean, I want Acuna to stay in right field. He's excellent there. The arm is valuable there. I just – Ender can <laughs> – he can handle, you know, center defensively, obviously. And, you know, if they have to wind up making a move, then they wind up making a move. And, I, you know, that's going to be something a lot of fans, like you said, are going to be excited and maybe monitoring if it, if it gets to that point. Mm-hmm. And we'll see because this is kind of a ripe situation where you get maybe a rental, a short-term fix, or somebody like that who can maybe come in and just contribute and help in center field for this season, and, and then you reevaluate things with Pache after. And and people could say, well, you know, do you want to give Pache more time when he gets back? You know, maybe he starts hitting well in AAA and comes up, and and maybe that's what they do. Yeah. But right now, when you're trying to figure out how to win a pennant and you're looking at this, you cannot just assume that Pache is going to figure things out offensively because, quite frankly, there's just been no sign he's anywhere close to that. Right. No, you have to go with what the results have said thus far. And if I were looking at the quality of the bats and thinking, as I have you know, with Austin Riley, for example, earlier this year, quality of the bats looked all right to me. The results were not what he wanted or anybody wanted, but – it looked like he was kind of keying in on some things. With Pache, he just simply hasn't looked like he has been able to identify and find the consistency at the plate that he's needed to against major league pitching. So we'll see, again, how this plays out long-term. I still love Christian Pache's stock as a Braves everyday center fielder, but long-term, 
doesn't mean necessarily right now. And with him injured, he simply isn't an option right now. So this discussion pretty much uh, could probably wrap on that. But we'll see what the Braves are able to do in his absence. And, of course, as we move forward to the season, seeing what kind of changes the Braves might be able to make when the trade deadline gets here. But uh, kind of putting a bow on this show and talking about one other, I think, notable story or a couple of notable stories to come from behind the plate this week. You know, the Braves, we were talking about signing Tyler Flowers in hopes that he could help pick up some of the slack after the loss of Travis Darno for the next couple of months at the very least and in support of young William Contreras, who is now the Braves' de facto starting catcher. Well, Flowers' return didn't last very long. He's dealing with back problems from a career spent crouching behind the plate and he's opted to end his comeback and retire. Gabe, I know Tyler is sometimes a bit of a polarizing topic among Braves fans, but this is a guy that, to me, has been a big part of Atlanta's success the past few years. He's going to keep working with the catchers on game planning and other things as an advisor with the club. I think that's a great thing. His playing days, they just happen to be over. And we touched on it before, but I really want to wish Tyler well as he wraps up a pretty solid Major League career in which he helped bring pitch framing front and center when you start discussing the value of catchers. Congrats to him on a great career. And, yeah, I think it's really big for them that he's going to be sticking around and helping, and he's also a guy who knows Contreras, and I think there's value in that, just having you know a veteran guy who's worked with him. So, uh, yeah, he's polarizing, but I would say he was a memorable brave. He's a guy that if you followed this team over the last five, six years, that you know you would remember Tyler Flowers, be it his name, be it him being from here. You know, him being a catcher on these teams that kind of, I mean, he was on the rebuilding teams too, but the, but these teams that kind of finally came out from being bottom feeders and, and found their way back to the playoffs. So yeah. a really good leader, a really engaging interview. Definitely. We always look at players too and, and how they handle right. that. But uh, he's a really interesting guy, and he's a great guy. He, again, I, I can't stress enough, he was a valuable leader. He handled the pitching staff well. Uh, we, obviously, the pitch framing everyone talks about. But, mm-hmm. you know, just really a good, solid, over-a-decade-long career. You know, again, that's really, really, really hard to do. And, you know, he's going to have his critics, and, that, and that's fine. But, you know, congrats to him. Yeah, I was reading Mark Bowman's article, which is incredibly good. I retweeted that yesterday for those of you who haven't. But Mark just had a, a really good... I guess, look back at the career of Tyler Flowers because I was telling you, what, a week ago, I remember when Tyler was coming up as a hit-first prospect who they weren't even sure was going to stick behind the plate, but to his great credit, turned himself into quite a student of the game and the value of pitch framing and the recognition of what he could do behind the plate to make himself a better catcher is what led to him having, I think, a decade in the major leagues and the experiences that he had and becoming Chris Sale's personal catcher and I know Chris Sale was very uh, unhappy, I think, when Tyler Flowers got cut loose. And that, I think, speaks as loudly as anything when you've got a pitcher who's that good, who wants somebody behind the plate for him. And I think that some of the Braves' young pitchers and just the pitching staff in general has been able to benefit from Tyler Flowers' baseball mind. And it was always fun to talk baseball with Tyler. I hope to do that again quite a few times. And and I said this on Twitter as well. I, I think that if this guy wants to spend a few decades around the game from this point on, I'm sure that people would be happy to have him in their employ because I think he has a good amount of knowledge to bring to help catchers and pitching staffs and the like. Well said. He'll be an invaluable resource for the Braves organization and especially for the handful of young catchers, especially Contreras and Langoliers. Congratulations to Tyler Flowers on a good major league career. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to come back in 2021 and maybe write one last chapter, but Still, I think some baseball in the future of Tyler Flowers, just a different type 
and I think it's one he'll be well-suited for. But again, behind the plate, that wasn't the only news this week for the Braves. Jonathan Lucroy, former All-Star for the Milwaukee Brewers. He's played for a number of clubs the past few years, but he signed a minor league deal with Atlanta, according to multiple reports the last couple of days. Uh, Lucroy had a brief stay with the Nationals in April when they got hit by a whole bunch of COVID cases and a good spring with the White Sox before that. Just can't seem to stick anywhere. Uh, so he's been sitting around for about a month and gave this is a depth signing. It helps give the Braves some kind of insurance policy if they suffer another catching injury, which, fingers crossed, that won't be a thing. But I do like this deal for sure. Lucroy's had some success. I think he can still handle the bat a little bit. I know the Braves have Jeff Mathis right now, who they like as a teammate. But offensively speaking, Lucroy has a little bit more of a profile, and perhaps that will be someone that can help the Braves out at some point throughout the season if, in fact, he's able to stick around for a while. Yeah, you know, Lucroy's a former all-star, and that, that's kind of what he is at this point. He's, you know, organizational depth if he sticks around anywhere. And like you said, you know, he, he was a good guy to kind of have sitting out there, somebody with pedigree. Yeah, definitely worth a flyer. Who knows if he makes it up here. But they just simply needed somebody. They needed a veteran guy. They, they couldn't. If their injury happens, they would be really screwed. Yeah. So you bring him in now, and, and we'll see. You know, Maybe we don't even see him. Maybe we do, and he's great. Maybe we see him, and he's terrible. But you know, at, at the low cost, the guy with that kind of pedigree, just adding depth you need, a smart signing. Two-time All-Star, going to turn 35 in about a month or so. He was a top-five finish in the MVP back in the day, again from Milwaukee, but that's been a minute. That was 2014. He's played for several clubs the last few years, including the Texas Rangers, the Rockies, the Oakland A's, the Angels, the Cubs the Red Sox, the Nationals, and, of course, that spring training with the White Sox as well. He's been well-traveled lately, but like you said, I think the Braves are happy that he's out there just to add a little bit of depth, a little bit of insurance behind the plate with somebody who's done it for a while, and Luke Roy certainly qualifies as far as that's concerned. Let's wrap things up by looking at the National League East game, which changed a lot in the last seven or eight days because in the background of the Braves having their Jekyll and Hyde week where they're busy sweeping the Nationals and then beating up on the Phillies and then getting swept by the Blue Jays, well, the Mets were busy winning seven straight games, and they built a nice, tidy three-game lead in the NLE standings as of the close of play on Friday. And Gabe, I think we knew that, A, this division was not going to stay around 500 all year long. This is going to get competitive. Some teams are going to go on some runs, and it looks like right now the Mets are the ones who have gotten on that first run to really, truly claim the top of the NLEs for the time being. Yeah, they've gone on their kind of first run here. Still waiting to see that out of the Braves. Yep. I think it'll eventually happen. And if you're the Braves, what better time to start a run than this upcoming homestand when you play the Mets? So you'll have an opportunity to kind of make up ground on them. And, you know, depending on, we'll see what two days from now, what the standings are. So you'll have an opportunity to kind of make up ground there. And, and then you have the Pirates. So maybe it's a good opportunity to finally get on a roll for them. But certainly I think we, you know, everyone just says it's the Mets. When it comes to, you know, can that team win the NL East and right. everything, and everyone has their Mets jokes, but that is a really talented team. And, you know, they saw things kind of come together. They couldn't finish it last night, but they're going to be in the mix. I mean, they're kind of the team that I think most of us have identified as being mm -hmm. the biggest problem for the Braves. So that's a big one for them to go on that run. So we're just now we're just kind of waiting to see when the Braves are going to respond with their own, you know, maybe win seven out of ten and, get back over 500, get a little cushion over 500 so mm -hmm. you don't, you're don't you not playing this game that they've been playing where you keep trying to play catch-up and you get back to 500, then you get swept again. and Because yeah. that's really been their season so far. It really has. Again, it's been up and down, up and down, up and down. There hasn't really been that consistency. And, of course, as you mentioned, the Braves haven't gotten on a good run 
as of yet either. So they got three games with the New York Mets starting on Monday after they wrap up the weekend series with the Brewers and then gave that four-game series against the Pirates you were talking about. Pirates are a little bit better this year than people have realized. They've been hanging around 500 for the most part. Not a scary team, but one that you need to go and take three out of four in that series if you're the Braves, especially coming off what will be the results of the three games against the Mets. But then the Braves will see the Mets at the end of the month at Memorial Day weekend and then heading into another series with the Nationals at home. So one series against the New York Mets coming up at home, one on the road to end the month. These are two teams that are going to see each other six times before May is over. That could have a lot to say about what these National League East standings look like when we turn the calendar to the month of June. Yeah, for sure. They haven't played each other yet, so they have, what, 19 games on the yep. schedule? You're playing 19 times, you know, a three-game difference or whatever it's going to be in a couple of days. This is where the Braves can really close ground, and they have, to their credit, they've done pretty well against their division, especially lately. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, obviously beating the Mets head-to-head is going to go a long way, as we've seen over these last three years, to winning their fourth consecutive division title. Well, that's what the Braves are hoping for. The Mets would very much like to take the division for themselves. I'm sure the Phillies would like to have a say in that. Marlins probably would, too. Not so sure about the Nationals this year. They've been a bit snake bit. But, again, you can't overlook any of these teams because even if they're not going to win the division, they can very much keep someone else from doing so with all of these head-to-head matchups. As Gabe mentioned, 19 meetings head-to-head between all five of these clubs with one another. There could be a lot of attrition in the standings. We'll see how that all shakes out. But the Braves and Mets are going to meet for the first time at the start of next week, and then they'll meet again before the month of May is over. So six meetings in a very short amount of time can kind of let the Braves and Mets know where their rivalry stands as these two clubs, as we like to say, resume hostilities for the first time since 2020. But a lot of baseball left to be played. It's about a quarter of the season is in our rearview mirror right now. Plenty of time for the Braves to get rolling, but I know they want to start putting those pieces in place very soon, and I look forward to talking about it all with you next time on From the Diamond. For sure. Looking forward to seeing what the next week holds. My thanks, as always, to Gabe Burns for making so much time to join From the Diamond this week. And I want to remind you, before we get out of here, you can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. We appreciate your ratings and reviews. They help out the show a lot. And if you're looking for a good place to find every episode of the show, as well as articles and videos and any other baseball content I've got for you, FromTheDiamond.com is the place to go for that. That'll wrap us up on this edition of the show. Thanks again to Gabe Burns for making so much time for me today. And thanks again to you for making From the Diamond part of your baseball podcast regimen. And I look forward to doing it all over again next week right here on From the Diamond. So until then, I'm Grant McCauley. So long, everyone.